TD Auto Finance is proud to be the only truly full-spectrum lender in Canada. No matter the circumstance, we have options for all your customers' auto financing needs. Contact us at 1-855-TD-AUTO-1 to find out more today. Hi, everyone. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, and welcome to the December 22nd, 2023 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. I have two guests on this week's show, and they're here to talk about one thing, the new Federal Electric Vehicle Availability Standard, which mandates automakers to sell nothing but zero emissions vehicles by the year 2035. We'll hear what the industry thinks of the target, what automakers feel was missed, and why they think new regulations aren't necessary at all. All that and more when I speak with Global Automakers of Canada CEO David Adams and Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association CEO Brian Kingston on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. David, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Well, thanks for having me again, Greg. Hey, important topic, news of the week, maybe news of the year. Tell me about the issues you and your members have with this zero emissions vehicle sales mandate. Well, I think, uh, you know, second time in two years where we've had a, a gift from the federal government just before the Christmas holidays. And I guess, you know, you look back a year ago and uh, and what was announced yesterday and you look at, well, what's what's actually changed? And I think um, from our perspective, our major concerns still remain that we don't think that infrastructure has been addressed by the government. And that's going to be a huge issue to consumer, uh, frankly, acceptance of these vehicles because they're going to want to be sure that they can actually charge their vehicles uh you know kind of when they need to uh where they need to uh and and have some confidence that when they go to a charging station it's actually going to work so this remains uh from our perspective a, a huge open switch um, no, no pun intended on whether or not uh consumers are going to have the confidence to move forward with uh with adoption and then the other factor you know beyond the regulation is the cost and i think the that the government sort of seems to be pitching this as oh well if we have a a mandate the the cost of these vehicles is automatically going to come down and i'm not sure how get to that uh, conclusion because right now you know the only way that cost is going to come down is if we get scale in the production of, of EVs and uh, you know if the battery costs continue to come down and you know if we look at the scale issue Canada is sort of two percent of the global sales market and two percent of the production market so doesn't matter what happens and you know, we're not really contributing a lot to that scale equation. So those are the, you know, some of the still outstanding questions uh, in our minds. Let's jump ahead. I, I have this question on my list, but I, I want to ask you, since you brought up uh, sure. the affordability issue, the other thing that Minister Gibo alleges are, are these two things, that there is a long wait time for EVs and that this policy shortens that. So my question or questions are, is there a wait time? And if so, why? And how would a policy such as this shorten those wait times? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think uh, the, the EV world is no different from the ICE world in that you have some models that are popular, more popular than others. And I think if you look at wait times, I would say that um, this idea that uh, oh, people can get, can't get their hands on EVs 
you know, may have been true a year or so ago. And, you know, as you all know, frankly, was true for vehicles of any type as we came through the pandemic and, uh, you know, uh, whatever, supply chain challenges and whatnot. But, you know, I think what we've seen is that there are more models available now than there ever have been. Uh, I know from talking to my members, a lot of them are of the view that they've got, uh, you know, a handle on, on inventory. There'll be more coming next year. So I think really the whole inventory issue is, uh, you know, is a, a question on, you know, maybe a year ago, but not so much now. And, um, you know, I would also add that the, the way the government sort of looks at whether or not EVs are available tends to be by looking, you know, doing surveys of dealer lots. And I think the reality is, is that that's not an appropriate assessment because really we're in a situation where we've got manufacturers that are filling orders. So those vehicles are coming to dealer lots, uh, consumers being phoned up and uh, the vehicles being moved, you know, within a few days. So it's they're, they're never going to appear in inventory. Do you feel like the government listened to you and the industry? We knew the draft regulations came out a, a year ago, and then there were consultations along the way. Do you feel like you've been sure. listened to? I think we had lots of meetings. Um, whether or not we were listened to, I think it's uh, probably, you know, if you ask any one of my members, you would probably get a slightly different answer. But I think uh, if you look at what the regulation has done it's not all that different from what we saw last year so we've seen um you know some uh uh you know provision for plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and i think that the, the government you know has recognized themselves that look you know uh, a pure battery electric vehicle may be okay in an urban center but if you get outside uh, urban centers and you're in rural communities and whatnot maybe that's not the best solution so they provided uh you know some more um credit availability or um uh I guess, um, an opportunity for plug-in hybrid electric vehicles to assist uh, manufacturers with their compliance um, all the way through the mandate and beyond. So, you know, I think that's somewhat helpful. And, you know, we had some tweaks on uh, on infrastructure in terms of manufacturers being able to get uh, credits for infrastructure. But, you know, there's that, that's hugely expensive as well. Um, and then I think the other thing that we saw was, early action credits. Um, so manufacturers that are putting vehicles into the market um, prior to the uh, the implementation of the regulation in 2026 will get some uh, some capability to allow them to try and uh, you know, meet their compliance obligations by putting in more vehicles in the marketplace uh, next year and the year after. So, you know, that's helpful. And from our perspective, that was a, a glaring error when the regulation was first announced last year. Let's talk about that infrastructure. It appears this new policy could add EV infrastructure, but only at the monetary expense of automakers and at the expense of fewer ZEV sales. And that's because automakers who miss their ZEV sales targets can actually invest in infrastructure to offset that shortfall. What are your thoughts on that plank of this policy? It appears to me that the government has sort of passed the buck on investing in EV infrastructure and forced it upon the automakers. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they've given the automakers a, a, a slightly better uh, compliance option as a, a final resort, if you will. But, you know, and we're still like 
don't don't take my comments as definitive, but we're we're still investigating the final regulation. But you know that looks like to be a hugely uh, expensive option for uh, manufacturers for that are in a, a deficit position and and uh, you know are looking for compliance pathways. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the the government's uh, you know uh, voice on infrastructure has always been well. It, it can't be up to just uh, government to invest in infrastructure. But I think the reality is is that you know nobody is making any money in charging infrastructure right now. So how do you induce private companies to come into the marketplace to install infrastructure? And make sure that it's running and operational all the time when there's no money to be made at it. So, you know, it is a bit of a chicken and the egg store, an egg story. But, um, you know, the reality is, is that we need a lot more infrastructure than what the government has committed to. Um, you know, by, you know, our calculations, we're probably going to need around 400,000 pieces of public infrastructure by 2030. And I think yesterday the minister announced that there was going to be, you know, potentially just under 90,000 uh, pieces of public infrastructure structure by 2029 so there's a glaring gap there you represent uh, automakers that are not the detroit three so just about everyone other than stellantis ford and general motors um and what we saw yesterday was hyundai canada was actually eager to send out its thoughts on this and they approve and applaud this new piece of policy but also under your umbrella is toyota which is a much uh, slower adopter and believer in battery electric vehicles as the be-all and end-all. How difficult is your job right now? What is that fissure and those cracks like within your membership and how do you deal with it? Well, look, I mean, electrification is uh, is on a continuum, right, from uh, from hybrids, which I, I guess the environmental purists don't, con- don't consider uh, electric vehicles, you know, all the way to pure battery electric vehicles or fuel cell electric vehicles. And as an association, our uh, representation to government has always been, let the manufacturers figure it out. You know, as we have always done, pick a greenhouse gas emissions reduction target and let the manufacturers figure out what technology they want to use and deploy to get to that result. So uh, all of our members can subscribe to that. I think the challenge here is that with the regulation, the government has essentially picked a technology and has said, okay, uh, despite what your own strategies were, manufacturers of achieving greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals, um, now we're going to focus on, te- on one particular technology. So, yes, it's, a, it's certainly a challenge for some of my members more than others. But, you know, we, we are where we are now with the regulation that the, uh, the job of government and industry is to figure out, well, how or if we're going to be able to hit those targets and and how are we going to make it all work. David, always good to have you on the podcast. I appreciate your insight. Thanks very much, Greg. Anytime. We'll be right back after this short break. At TD Auto Finance, we recognize the importance of stability in a partner and pride ourselves in giving you the support you need to grow your business. As the only truly full-spectrum lender in Canada, our specialized sales, credit, and funding teams and competitive programs give you the flexibility you need to support your customers in almost any circumstance. Contact us today at 1-855-TD-AUTO-1 to find out more about our six-time JD Power award-winning service, innovative products, or even how we can help you find a floor plan financing option that suits your business needs. 
Welcome back to the podcast where you're listening to David Adams and Brian Kingston break down the federal government's new ZEV sales mandate. Now I'm joined by Brian Kingston. Brian, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime. How realistic or how doable are these targets? The targets are not realistic on the basis of the supports that have been provided to Canadians. 100% sales by 2035 is going to require a huge effort to build out charging infrastructure, both public and in multi-unit residential buildings, as well as ensuring that we have consumer incentives and supports that are strong enough to offset the price differential that exists right now between EVs and internal combustion engine vehicles. So there is a pathway to 100%, but it requires far, far more ambition from government, not just federal, provincial, municipal as well, uh, to help Canadians switch to electric. It sounds to me like you're saying you and your members would prefer the government to come out and say, hey, we're going to invest in EV infrastructure, and then your members would take care of supplying the electric vehicles. Would that have been a better plan for the federal government to focus on infrastructure and incentives and then let the automakers meet demand? Absolutely. And and this is what was most frustrating about the announcement. A lot of the government messaging um, was around uh, the, this premise that we don't have enough electric vehicles. And all I do is point them to recent evidence. Automakers are investing trillions globally. In Canada alone, we've seen $15 billion from Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, $30 billion when you include other investments that have been made. We've gone from three EVs in the market in 2012 to 77 this year, 40 more coming next year. Inventories have increased significantly. So all of the evidence is very clear. The industry is moving in this direction in a big way. And if a Canadian wants an electric vehicle in any vehicle segment, they will be able to purchase one. So rather than putting in place this redundant regulation, we'd like the government to focus on what we know are the barriers and the challenges to electrification and charging infrastructure being one of the most obvious ones. I was hoping that we would see some announcement around an enhanced plan to to get us to the targets that the government has set. 442,000 chargers by 2035. That requires building 35,000 chargers every single year for the next 12 years. And there was nothing on that. So I, I was very disappointed. What do you say to this statement that, okay, well, if we were already going there and automakers were already rolling out EVs, then why take issue with a mandate? I was asked that question yesterday. I gave my answer, but I'm curious what you have to say to that, because I understand where that question comes from. If we were already going there and we're already making these things and we're already going to sell them, then why do you have to take issue with a mandate? There is a huge economic competitiveness perspective to this that has been overlooked by the federal government in the pursuit of this mandate. The automotive industry exists in Canada because since the 1960s, we have aligned our regulations with the federal U.S. And this this is what has underpinned our competitiveness for new investments. We are a relatively small market that is part of a much larger integrated North American market. So our message to government had been, look, the Americans are moving in this same direction using increasingly stringent emission standards. The auto industry is investing in the technology, so why not continue to align with the U.S.? 
work with the Americans as the Biden administration tries to create a North American battery supply chain, and we will get there together. Instead, they've taken this other approach where you have a Canada unique regulation, which is costly to comply with. It creates all sorts of challenges with other regulations that are in place, including separate mandates at the provincial level. Um, so it's it, it's just a bad policy from every perspective imaginable. And, and I've yet to get a clear explanation from government as to why they felt it was necessary to put this in place. You had mentioned that if a Canadian wants to buy an electric vehicle, there are 77 roughly to choose from right now. The problem many have, consumers, advocates, critics, they all say they're too expensive. Um, Do you agree with that statement and how do you fix it if you do agree with that statement? There is absolutely a price gap right now between electric vehicles and internal combustion engine vehicles. And I I think what's missed in in this is that, that, you know, this is a transition and it will take time to build this North American battery supply chain. We need to see significant more global mining capacity, um, more battery plants coming online and more investment into this technology. And that means that we will eventually get to price parity but it doesn't happen overnight. And so that's why consumer incentives are so important from government because that helps close the gap. But I think there also needs to be a reflection that this does take time and automakers are moving as quickly as possible, but to suddenly expect that we'll reach price parity immediately is, is unrealistic, particularly when you look at the vehicles that Canadians like to drive. We like to drive larger vehicles, pickup trucks and SUVs, and those depend on bigger batteries to give people the range that they they expect. And a bigger battery means a larger cost right now. Do you feel like, I've heard this bandied around by some executives, do you feel like the government is trying to mandate taste and mandate lifestyle change? Because you talked about the trucks and the SUVs, and you're right, it's more than 80% of new vehicle sales in Canada are SUVs, trucks, minivans and crossovers they aren't small sedans and they aren't little electric vehicles so do you feel like the government in a way is trying to mandate taste and lifestyle change to um, its constituents well if you look at the regulation and the analysis that environment canada did of it of it 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 actually does look as though they're trying to mandate um, um, choice in, in a way i mean they've been crystal clear they say that this regulation will reduce consumer choice uh, and it will increase vehicle prices. Um, so they've been quite transparent about that in, in the drafting of this regulation. And, and that worries me, particularly because so much investment is going into this transformation to electric. We need this to work. We want consumers and Canadians to want to switch to an electric vehicle. And if you force it through a mandate before we have all of the supports in place, you could actually create a blowback which would be very problematic given the, tr- the transition, the amount of uh, investment in capital that is being put into this. So that really worries me that they've, they've taken an approach that, that could actually um, have an opposite impact. We talked about price. What is the magic number when it comes to incentives? In the United States, for example, it's 7,500 US dollars for most electric vehicles, those made in North America. We know all about the Inflation Reduction Act. In Canada, it's $5,000 Canadian on qualifying vehicles. In Quebec, there's an additional $7,000 available, so that would make it $12,000 in that province. So that's a lot of different numbers floating around. What is the magic number that gets consumers off their wallet to buy an electric or or, uh, zero emissions vehicle in Canada? 
Well, it all depends on how quickly you want to advance adoption. And so if you look at both Quebec and BC, they've been successful because they have very strong provincial incentives, which you can add to the federal incentive. Um, if you look at the federal incentive, one of the problems is that it's it's just not significant enough and it doesn't match what we see in the United States. The U.S. income tax credit is equivalent to about $10,000 Canadian and the, the caps on it are also higher. Um, so you can purchase more expensive vehicles using that incentive. So at a very minimum, the federal government should be matching the United States. And then on a province by province basis, we do need every province to put something into the market if you want to hit those targets as quickly as the government has established them. I asked this question uh, of your colleague, David Adams. Do you feel listened to by the government? Do you feel like they they actually took to heart what you discussed with them over the summer uh, after these draft regulations came out? Do you feel like they listened? Well, you know, I, I have to say that the government has been a real strong partner of the automotive industry when it comes to winning investment and ensuring that we continue to have a, a thriving and growing automotive footprint here. So, you know, the conversations that that we've had with Minister Champagne and Minister Freeland, they've been very dedicated to ensuring the success of this industry where things have become problematic is is on this regulation specifically um, and we have provided detailed input over the past two years around why this approach doesn't work uh, and frankly i think it's safe to say given the announcement we saw yesterday we haven't been listened to um, they did include some additional um, changes to the way that uh, credits can be earned and some of which are helpful uh, but at the end of the day this regulation isn't necessary. We've given them ample uh, evidence and data to show that, particularly given where the Americans are going. Um, and that was not uh, that was not um, factored into the final regulation. So that is a, and continues to be a challenge. Brian, always great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate the the information and the insight. Uh, have a great holiday uh, season. Yeah, thanks so much, and I uh, hope you have a nice holiday as well. I'd like to thank David and Brian for being my guests. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.